Well, again, good morning, everybody, and uh, thank you for joining us today in these very difficult days that we are experiencing collectively together in, uh, in, our, in our country and indeed in, in the world. I also want to share with you that uh, we, on, we are continuing to do our very best to communicate with you on a, on a very regular basis, indeed almost a daily basis, to give you resources and to provide opportunities. And so keep going to that Facebook page, uh, keep going to the church website, and uh, we're gonna continue to do our best to resource you and to continue gospel ministry, even as we are uh, very much self-isolating and practicing some extreme social distancing. So let's have a great week of ministry, even as we are, uh, many of us, very, very secluded. Now last week, we, we did a, a message entitled Disinfecting Fear. Disinfecting Fear. How to do that with gospel truth. And if you think about fear, you, you have a spectrum when it comes to fear. There is, there's outright fear. This is the uh, phobic fear. This is the panic fear. That's the destructive spectrum of fear. And no doubt there are some of us, even today, who are struggling with almost that level of of panic. But most, if not all of us, are dealing with a low-grade anxiety. We may not be panicking, but certainly in our culture today, there is a low-grade anxiety about what is taking place. And I find myself, I don't know about you, but I kind of find myself reminiscing about, you know, the good old days when we had people over to our house, and the good old days when we could take the kids to, uh, to the park and uh, chat with our, our, you know, the people there and, and have no fear at all. I found myself reminiscing, and this is like two weeks ago, right? I found myself reminiscing about the good old days, and then poof, they are gone. At least they're gone here for some time. And what has replaced them? What has replaced them is days, summarized by what I said uh, to my wife Jennifer this week as we were uh, going to bed. I said, you know, I, I almost hate to wake up in the morning and to turn on the news or to, to, uh, to go to a website because every single day there's something worse that has happened. All bad news. Every day the stock market is lower. Every day the infection rate is higher. Every day the restrictions on our lives are stricter. Every day is less like the normal days we used to enjoy. And we see this even in the, uh, the countenances of people. I don't know if you've noticed this. Of course, we're not getting out that much anymore. But even in the days leading up to uh, the more strict restrictions, I don't know if you noticed, as you go to the grocery store, you go to the gas station, you know, everyone had this look on their face, uh, a, a look of, of distress. Honestly, it looked like constipation, you know, just sort of this like, you know, uh, wondering if you're carrying something, don't get near to me. Trouble, anxiety, worry. This is the human response to crisis and trials. At worst, you have outright panic and fear, at best, a low-grade anxiety. Now, I think we likely realize that God doesn't want his, his children, Christians, to be fearful. But what about worry? What about that mid-level, mid-grade anxiety? You know, in difficult times, this almost seems virtuous. Like if, if we met somebody who 
uh, wasn't anxious in some way, we would look at them possibly skeptically. And yet we look in the Bible and God has a much different and indeed a much better approach to the trials and the crisis of life, something he urges us to do even in the most difficult of circumstances. And here it is. Philippians 4 verse 6 says this. Do not be anxious, get this, about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That is our text today. May God bless it to our hearts as we seek to understand what does this mean and apply it to our life. And you'll notice that the passage revolves around two complementary themes. You, you find in verse 6, prayer, and in verse 7, peace. Notice the order. First, prayer, and then peace. And in a sense, that gives you, gives you a sense of where this, whole, where this whole message is going. The order is important. He begins with something that we are not to do. He says here that we are not to be anxious. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Well, thank you very much, Apostle Paul. That's very easy for you to say. It is very difficult for us uh, to do. And as I talk about anxiety, I doubt there's anybody uh, that is listening that says, anxiety, what's that? I have no idea. I've never dealt with that in my life. No, we all do. In fact, the, the root of the word in the Greek is the word care. Okay, it is, it is to have care. And, and there's a kind of care that's actually good. In fact, in, in the next chapter, Paul will use the same word to describe cares that he has for the churches. So there's a kind of caring that is good. He's talking here about a kind of fostering of cares and the festering of cares, the obsessive cares. This is bad this is anxiety. And so he gives us a command here. It is a present active imperative. He says, do not be anxious about anything. About anything. You see, we have these words here, anything and everything. Both are very broad words. What is not included in anything? Everything. What is not included in everything? Nothing. Right? These are all encompassing words. I would say that most people don't worry about everything, but few people can say they don't worry about anything. So there is something here not to do with anything, and there is something that we are to do with everything. What are we not to do? We are not to worry. We're not to worry. Now some of us wear our worry like a, like a badge of honor. We think it, uh, it means that I, I really care about something and I, I really care about somebody. If we were to say that, you know, you shouldn't worry about them, they'd say, well, at least I worry enough to care, okay? Friend, listen, worry is never a virtue. We never find in the Bible God encouraging us to worry more. And here is why. Because worry is a kind of functional blasphemy against God. Because of what it is believing about itself. Worry is believing that it can, through obsessive care and concern, control the object or the outcome. 
Worry is a kind of functional blasphemy. What does it mean? Well, worry denies one of the core attributes of God, and that is his sovereignty. God's sovereignty means that God is in control of everything, and worry denies the sovereignty of God. Now let me ask you this. How many people that are listening, how many of you worried that the sun would come up? Why not? Can't control it. How many of you worry about the, oh, I don't say, the stock market? Now maybe some of you would say, well, actually, I am quite concerned about the stock market. I was hoping to retire next year, but now I'm working for 20 more years. I'm a little worried about the stock market. Okay, but can you control it? No. Why do you worry about it? Anybody here worried about a potential medical condition? even maybe catching this virus. Can you control that? Well, some of the OCD people think they can. Is there anybody worried about dying? Can we actually even control that? In fact, when you really get right down to it, how many things that we worry about do we actually have any control over? And ultimately, the answer is nothing, nothing. So what does our worry do? If we think it's controlling something in the future, something in our life, what does our worry do for us? Well, it wants to control what it can't control, and it is dissatisfied with God's right to be in control of it. This is what Oswald Sanders calls unconscious blasphemy. And if if we really thought about it for a second, if God suddenly said, oh, you're worried about that? Here, I'll I'll put you in charge of everything and all of the contingencies surrounding it, this world would be a really messed up place. We're not very good at being God. God's great at being God, and he is the sovereign God. Worry denies the sovereignty of God. Secondly, worry also denies another key aspect of who God is, and that is the goodness of God. The goodness of God. Have you ever in your life worried that something might be too wonderful for you? Have you ever worried that something might be too good for you? Does the single woman ever worry in her heart, maybe my husband will be too wonderful of a husband? Or does a a parent worry at night, what if my kids turn out to be too godly? Oh, I'm gonna worry about that. No, no, we never worry that things are gonna be better than we think they are. It is always worrying about things being worse than we think that they're going to be. We're always concerned that it's not gonna turn out good, we think it's gonna turn out bad. And here is where God has given us promises that worry is blaspheming. Namely, I'll give you a great one, Romans 8.28. We mentioned this last week. Romans 8.28, how do all things work together for those that, are, that love God and called according to his purpose? All things work together for, say it in your family room, good. It all works together for good. That's a promise that God gives us. And why does God always turn everything eventually and ultimately to good? Friends, here's why. Because he is good. Do you realize that God is good? Here's how the psalmist says it. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. The Lord is good. You read through the Psalms and many other verses in the Bible, it is repeated over and over and over and again. The goodness of God. Oh God, how good you are. This means that everything that God does is good. And when you add his goodness to his sovereignty, this means that no matter what life throws at us, we can be confident that God intends 
good. You think of Joseph when his, uh, with all the things that his brothers did against him. After his father died, he was, the brothers were afraid he was going to exact his vengeance. And, and, and what does Joseph say? He had a great theology of God. He said this, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So when I am anxious about something, when I am worrying about something, I am saying in my heart, God, I don't think that you are in control, and if you are in control, I am not convinced that you are good. So I'm going to trust my own ability to fix this by obsessively worrying about it. I'm gonna trust my own abilities to fix these problems. I'm going to define good the way that I see it, not the way that you see it. And that's what makes worry and anxiety a sin and not to be done in the hearts of God's people. Now I can imagine you listening to this, you're saying, well, that's easy to say, you know. It's easy to say when your, your problem is sort of a, on, a, on, a, on a one to 10, it's a two. But what about when your problem's an eight or a nine or a 10? Or what if, what if your problem is the kinds of things that we're going through right now? I mean, God's gotta say, okay, well, you can be anxious about that. You can worry about that. No, no, no. God actually, he, he does want us to do something about these things, but it's not worry and anxiety. Look at what, look at how the verse continues. It says this, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. God says, I got something better than all your worrying, and I got something better than all your anxiety and all your phobias and all your fears. And what is it? He says, anxious for nothing, prayer in everything. Anxious for nothing, prayer in everything. Never worry, always pray. And this praying is described really with three words here. You'll notice this, prayer, supplication, and requests. Prayer is just general talking to God. Supplication, this is a word that, we, uh, that is sometimes translated, I believe, entreaty. In other words, there's a sense of urgency to this. There's the kind of prayer where you know, you're talking to God, and then there's the kind of prayers where you are just, you're storming heaven and asking God for help. That is supplication. And then thirdly, requests. You know what a request is? A request is when you ask for something. And I can tell you right now, I've learned a lot about what it means to make requests being a, a, a dad of two girls because they make requests all day long. And if you've been uh, cooped up in your house for some time with your kids, <laughs> you, are, you are drowning in the constant requests of these kids. They have no fear of asking for things, and God says, that's what we're to do. In everything, make your request known unto God. And, and Paul adds that this should be done in a spirit of thanksgiving. And of course, this is, thanksgiving is that sense, that tone, that attitude that acknowledges God's right to do what he wants. When I am thankful, I'm in a spirit of submissiveness to God and his will. This is, you know, your will be done. Not, not my will, but your will be done as Jesus prayed. When I am thankful, I'm acknowledging the goodness of God. And thankful gods, here's the, or thankful gods, thankful prayers hit at the root of our anxiety issues by reminding us that God is the one after all who is in control and he is good. So when I am anxious, I am refusing to give up control. When I am praying, I'm acknowledge that God's in control. 
When I am worrying, I am believing in my ability to know what is good. When I am praying, I'm trusting in God's ability to define good. And get this, here's the, here's the kicker. God wants us to make our requests known to him. He wants us to come needy to him. Here's, here's 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him. You get that visual? Take that anxiety, that burden on your back, and just cast it at Jesus' feet. And why can I do that? The rest of the verse says this, because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. You know, the greatest example of a prayer life is the life of Jesus. And uh, you look at the way that he approached his prayers and the, the content of his prayers and uh, how, how often he prayed and how he prayed before big moments and choosing his disciples or even the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion. And there we have in that example of what it means to not be afraid to give honest cries for help. I mean, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says, Lord, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, think of that. All the incarnation and all the miracles and all the life, 33 years, Jesus, maybe quietly in his heart, in his humanity, praying, if there's a way for this cup to pass from me, may it be so. But then you hear the bottom line, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. God is not honored by our worry. He is not honored by our fear. The earliest memory of my whole life, you know, they say that the things you remember, the earliest memories are when you were afraid. And that is true for me. The earliest memory of my whole life was when we were at a, at a camp in Iowa and, and there was a long dock that went out into the lake. And uh, we went out on that dock and my dad carried me. And I remember uh, this because as he carried me and I looked out and I saw the water, I was terrified that he was going to drop me. I was terrified I was going to drown in the water. And I cried out to him. Did my fear honor my dad and his strength and his ability to hold me and protect me? And yet so many of us are dominated by fear and worry over things we can't control. This is where this pandemic, I think, strikes at the heart of this. I said this last week, that pandemics put the modern man out of sorts because pandemics put the modern man out of control. And why do we find so much fear in our society? Because the modern man is discovering how little control we really have. Listen to this, friends. Our lives are controlled by that for which, about which, after which, before which, and concerning which we care. And there are some people that never try the better way. They read a verse like this and they laugh at this and they say, ah, oh, prayer doesn't work anyway. I'm just going to keep worrying. Really? Can you tell me one positive thing that has ever come from all the anxiety and all the worry that you've had in your life? Has it ever changed anything? Has it ever improved anything? And I think we know the answer to that. It never does. And yet, why do so many people say, this is how I'm going to approach this? There is a better way, and it begins by fighting worry at the root of worry in our hearts. Who is in control, and who is good? And if I believe the answer to that is me, then I will be dominated by worry about this pandemic and about that next crisis in my life. But if the answer to that is God, 
then there is a whole other reality that blossoms in our hearts. And this is the rest of the verse. Look at what it says. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, which of us right now wouldn't love to have a whole lot more of that in our hearts right now? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Let's make sure we know what kind of peace he's talking about because we find peace in many places in the Bible. I think of uh, Romans 5.1, that uh, therefore we have peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Is this the kind of peace he's talking about? No. The Bible talks about two kinds of peace. You have objective peace, And that is the the declaration of peace between God and a sinner through justification where now, now I am at peace with God because he is no longer my judge, he is my heavenly father. And that is a wonderful, wonderful truth. But in order to have the peace of God, you have to have peace with God. And if you're here today and one reason that you are racked with fear and anxiety is because you have never bent the knee of your heart in faith and trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would urge you in the midst of this scary time in our, in our, uh, in our history that God would maybe use this to lead your heart to trust in Jesus. And why not do that today? God has come to solve the big problem that every sinner has, and that is our relationship with him. Put your faith and trust in Jesus and know objective peace. I'd urge you to do it today. But that is not the peace that Philippians 4 is talking about. The peace of God here is the opposite of human anxieties. Okay, this this is the sense of inner comfort. This is the sense of tranquility in my heart. This is the calm assurance that everything is going to work out well. Like the song that we sang earlier, it is well with my soul. How, how do I say it is well with my soul? Well, this verse is telling us how. This is the sense of security that all of us are longing for, particularly in scary times. Here's some other verses about this. Listen to John 14. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. One commentator adds this, peace is the smile of God reflected in the soul of the believer. It's the heart's calm after Calvary's storm. It is the firm conviction that he who spared not his own son will surely also along with him freely give us all things. It is the peace that comes from God through the Holy Spirit as we refuse to give in to fear and we refuse to believe the lies that worry is telling us that maybe God isn't in control or maybe God isn't good. No, It is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is the sister of joy. And why should I want this? Why is the peace of God better than anything worry could ever produce? Notice the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Transcends. This is not mystical Uh, Some people read this in that way, a kind of a a mystical transcendence. No. The word for transcendent just means this. It far surpasses. 
The word for knowing means the mind mulling over something. In other words, this is what it means. The peace of God far surpasses the benefits, dubious as they are, of worry. The peace of God is far greater, it is far better than anything that anxiety could ever provide to us. And all my attempts to control my life and to figure things out and to to plan and to carefully calculate desired outcomes, that reality is puny in its benefit when compared to the inner emotional tranquility and security of trusting in God's control and God's goodness. Or to say it this way, God's peace is better than obsessive planning. God's peace is better than controlling. His peace is better than manipulation. His peace is better than worry. His peace is better than fear. His peace is better than anxiety. And whatever else you want to put in the list, the peace of God is far greater than anything that man's attempt to control his life and control his outcomes could ever produce. And not only that, this text tells us that it has a defensive role to play. It says it guards our hearts and our minds. It guards our hearts and minds. The word there for guard, it's it's a military term. Like a guard to defend against a hostile invasion. The peace of God is like, imagine uh, in in your heart, you've got like a, 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 a row of secret service agents around your heart. And, you know, they got the sunglasses, they're talking into their wrists, you know that they're packing heat. You got, they are there and they are protecting us. They're protecting our minds against the very first inclination to question God's right to rule and his absolute goodness in all things. It reminds me of a story of a friend of mine. Many of you know Dr. Charles Ware. He's preached here many times at our church a very wonderful, powerful African-American pastor and a friend of mine, and uh, his son, I was his son's youth pastor, and friends with the family, shortly after I arrived here at Bethel to, uh, to, to be the senior pastor, I got a call that, uh, that, that his son had been in, a, in an accident during basketball practice and had been paralyzed from the neck down. And Dr. Ware was off on the West Coast somewhere, and he jumped on a plane, and he flew in, and my friend Kimber Kaufman met him in that hospital room, and they embraced, and Kimber told me later what Charles said. In the midst of that embrace, Charles whispered into Kimber's ear, God is good. God is good. Now, that's one thing to sing in a service or to sort of, you know, throw out somehow the goodness of God. But when the chips are down and when things are not great, when things are bad, when things are hard, to affirm the goodness of God is an action of faith. It is to believe that no matter what the circumstances are, that God is good. I think of Job. He gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So tomorrow, if you get up and you read the news and something more bad has happened, more death, more destruction, more unemployment, more isolation, whatever it might be, 
or maybe some other aspect of your life that is deeply disappointing to you. Your children are disappointing to you. Your spouse is disappointing to you. Your, uh, your employer, your, your extended family, your health, pick your thing. Whatever the bad news might be, God's peace flows into our hearts when we affirm that God is in control and that God is good. Can you whisper, can you whisper to your own heart, God is good. Listen to Isaiah 26, verse 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. Now I want to give a few practical suggestions for how we could live this out in the, the day-to-day of life. And here's the first one, and this one I think is incredibly helpful. Use the energy that crisis provides to respond biblically. Now what do I mean by that? Well, whenever, there, when, whenever, whenever we're in the pressure cooker of life, whenever there is trouble, with that there is energy. And this energy flows out of the human heart, often in anxiety and worry and a number of other ways. One of the suggestions that I would, would give is to take that energy, that inside, and rather than using it in negative and destructive ways like worry and anxiety, force yourself to use that energy in spiritually profitable ways. What do I mean by that? Well, take that energy that you have today, your worry about whatever, and rather than just obsessing over it, take the energy and write a note of encouragement to somebody. Give that friend a call from high school. Look across the street and see if the neighbors are okay. Do it, take it and do something with it that is not going to destru- be destructive in your heart, but is going to be positive. And the end result of that is that you're going to be far ahead of anywhere where you're worrying and stewing over this could ever take you. Don't waste the crisis. Use the energy in positive ways. Secondly, say this to your heart. I will fight worry with the promises of God. I'm going to fight worry with the promises of God. I'm sure we've all done this. Maybe you're doing this right now with all the things going on. We, we can very easily, we lay in bed, it's 3 a.m. We can't sleep. Our minds are racing with concerns and worries and troubles. And there we lay. All we can do is think about the crisis. What should we do in a moment like that? What I'm encouraging us to do is to fight worry. Did you know you can fight against worry? How do you do it? By claiming and reminding ourselves of what is true. Because worry is a fantasy, right? Worry will, you know, you wake up at 3 o'clock and, you know, you're going to die because alligators ate you or some crazy thing. It's a fantasy. What is true? God's word is true and the promises of God are true. Apply those to the crisis. So, for example, if you today are in a financial crisis, your worrying thought is, how am I going to live? Here's the fighter promise, Matthew 6, 25, God will supply all my needs. Maybe you have a health concern today. The worrying thought is, what does this mean? I've got an ache here, I've got a, a sniffle. What does this mean? The fighter promise, Psalm 139, all my days are in the hands of God. Maybe you're in a relationship crisis. The worrying thought is, can I possibly live without this person? The fighter promise is this, that God is with me. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. Maybe you're in a crisis with enemies. The worrying thought is this, what if they win? What if they defeat me? 
Here's the fighter promise, Romans 8, 31, with God I can't lose. Finally, what about weakness? Just general weakness of some kind. We can lay in bed, we worry about it, we ask the question in our hearts, am I gonna make it? The fighter promises this, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, his grace is sufficient. Fight worry, take it out at the root by claiming what is true and the promises of God are always true. And finally, I would encourage us as a church family to refuse to give in to fear by meditating on the goodness of God. Let me give you some more verses in this. Here's Isaiah 41. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Here's Romans 8.32, one of my favorites. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And here is Ephesians 3.2. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. You know what this is saying about the goodness of God, especially that last verse? His goodness is God's eternal intent to do far more than I would even do for myself if I had the power to do it. Far more than I could even ask or imagine God is intending to do good to me. Now, I don't know about you, but I actually think I have some pretty good ideas about good things that God could do if, if I had a magic button and I could make it be whatever it would be. I, I, could, I could think of these things and maybe I would go to God in prayer and I would say, God, here's some things that I think that if you were really good, you would do for Steve DeWitt. And I would go through my list, and everything that I could suggest to God, he hears my prayer, and he says, you're not thinking big enough, Steve. But Lord, and I could go on, and let's just go, I'm on the fringes now of my wildest imagination of good things that God could do in my life. And even at that level, God turns to the angels, and he says, there goes DeWitt again, he's thinking way too small, immeasurably more than I can imagine is how God promises to be to me. And when I am meditating and living my life on that level, confident in the control of God, confident in the goodness of God, the last thing that is in my heart is anxiety. And the last thing in my mind is worry. Now, we're not in that future yet of ultimate display of the goodness of God. We live now and we await the future ultimate goodness of God. But as we wait, he promises us here to give us inner confidence and peace, a kind of peace that the world can't give and that the world, and I would add this, this virus can't take away. Do not be anxious. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.